Beamer Tire and Auto Repair, now with three locations across the triad in High Point, Greensboro, and our new location in Kernersville. Beamer Tire and Auto offers full-service auto repair, all tire brands, free alignment checks, oil changes, and more. In Kernersville, check out the no-appointment-needed Quick Lube Shop. Check out their thousands of five-star ratings via Google and Yelp. They care because they know that you can go anywhere. So try a shop with a beating heart, not a bottom line. Beamer Tire and Auto Repair. Visit us on Facebook or at BeamerTire.com. In professional sports, a franchise player is an athlete who is not simply the best player on their team, but one that the team can build their franchise around for the foreseeable future. Welcome into Franchise Players here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Thanks to everyone that's listening to us on a variety of different platforms and formats here. Uh, joining me right now, Dimitri Robinos from the Barrett Sports Media. Dimitri, what's going on, man? Oh, not a lot, Desmond. Sorry about my chair. I know it's very loud in the background, but uh, that's what happens when you're out of WD-40. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> now, I knew we spoke about a week or so ago, and I was trying to time this just right because you're kind of my go-to guy when it comes to college football, uh, yeah. SEC in particular. And uh, I got some questions, man. So let's just before we get <laughs> before we get into college playoff stuff, I, I got to talk about this uh, pit quarterback, Kenny Pickett, set the world on fire uh, last weekend with his fake slide uh, against. Sure. Uh, Against Pitt, and, uh, excuse me, against Wake Forest in the ACC championship game, is this good or bad for college football? If you haven't seen the play, just Google Kenny Pickett, and you'll be able to see it immediately. Uh, if you're a sports fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I won't go. We've had a week to kind of discuss him doing it. My question is: Is this good or bad? Not just for college football, but for football in general, because it feels like yeah, you mean does make a choice now? Yeah, right. Does this create a situation where far less skilled people are putting themselves in danger? Trying yeah. to do this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's kind I, of I mean, it's, it's a good question. It, it really is a good question. I, I honestly, I've watched it a couple times because I, I didn't watch that game live. So when Twitter was going nuts about it, I went and sought out the video. I'm not entirely sure he did that on purpose. I, I really am not. Now, whatever the case may be, whatever the reality is, after the myth gets built, it is the fake slide, right? So he yeah, leaned I mean, into I, it. Yeah, he he said in the post game. Well, yeah, you know, I did. But what's he supposed to say at that point? Yeah, you know, like own it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, I tripped over the uh, turkey. Yeah, like, oh, uh, really no, I mean, I I think you ask a really good question. I think it is going to be up to uh, coaches at every level, and really referees too, when they talk to coaches in the preseason to explain, look, your guy is still an active runner and, you know, he runs the risk of, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this. Uh, he, he runs the risk of being hit in a way that you are going to want targeting called that reasonably you cannot call it because of the way the defender launches bracing for the fact that the guy's about to slide. Does that make sense? Like I, I think yeah. that running quarterbacks, particularly at the high school level where everyone thinks they are better than they actually are are setting themselves up to really get blindsided trying to do stuff like that. Yeah. You know what it reminded me of? It didn't, the, the result wasn't the same. Well, it was the same. It ended up in a touchdown, but I don't know if you remember this, but uh, about a year or so back uh, NFL playoffs chiefs versus Texans and mm -hmm. the Texans had opened up that lead on the chiefs. And then uh, Pat Mahomes started leading this comeback and he had a run down the sideline where the Texans defenders kind of let up because they thought he was running out of bounds and he tippy tipped right. in the sideline. And then he kind of spun back into play and got into the end zone. And when it yep. happened, I was like, those defenders stopped because they thought they were going to get a penalty. And he kind of used it against them because he was right there on the line. He could have just stepped out whenever and he's never stepped out. And that's kind of similar to this where, I mean, somewhere in his mind, the move that he made, he, he knew in his mind, he wasn't going to go down. So the yeah. whole him not knowing if he was going to fake slide or whatever when he did the little juke that's a split second decision like he was trying to see how much how many more yards he could get and he could see the end zone so he he wasn't going to slide in that instance now was he doing it intentionally knowing the defender would let up i think he probably was i think that's the whole point mm. of doing it but the to me you know what kind of reminds me of kind of reminds me of a balk in baseball like that's how it should be ruled like to me like if you mm. do something like that you know like if you do a fake slide 
if the rules are going to stay the way they are right now and you're trying to protect the quarterback, you can't let the quarterback uh, manipulate the rules to, to, to get even further yeah. down the field. You know what I mean? So, to, yeah, to I mean, at, at that point, like, you have thing, to declare. You know? Yeah, I mean, at that point, you have to declare, look, you're not a quarterback anymore. You're a runner. And, and they've done a pretty good job of that. You know, you bringing up the Mahomes example is a really good illustration of you can't really call this like the next evolution or the similar type of thinking that led to, you know, Dan Marino's fake kneel down or how many different uh, right. quarterbacks have we seen do a fake spike? I mean, it is a it is a different element where you are bringing potential penalties into play or potential penalties against the other side um, mm-hmm. into play here. So it is, it's interesting, man. And you bring up, like I had not thought about the idea of copycats, particularly at lower levels, but we're absolutely going to see it. Oh, in high school, especially I could see that like right now. So It's, it's not just that. a matter of like high school players all think they are better than they are. The ones that are good are light years better than anyone else on the field. Um, so they are going to be able to do stuff like this. And I just want, and look, I'm not saying, uh, Oh, the children, like, I think it was a cool move, whether Kitty Pickett meant to do it or not. It was a, it was a very cool looking thing and I'm glad we got to see it, but it is a matter of if you grow up, you know, if you're a, a freshman in high school right now, and you've seen that and for three years, you're able to get away with that because you are too good to be playing two a football in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. By the time you get to college, you're going to find out real quick that uh, the competition you were playing at 2A in uh, North Carolina, yeah, those people are done playing football. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And, and <laughs> you run the risk of maybe getting a helmet planted into your sternum by doing Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Like, because, I mean, it's still a bang-bang type situation. You're going to get – we still have it right now where a, a, a quarterback might be going into a slot and he still gets hit. Yep. So what, what happens now, that defender is already thinking, okay, I can't hit him above the shoulders. I can't hit him – below the midsection i can't i can't run into him if he's sliding but if he decides not to slide he's going to run by me because i'm thinking of all this stuff in a two second span like it's just it's got to the point where they've put so much on the defender that the that the advantage is on the offense and the quarterback in particular so i was just curious to leave this off where you were on this fake slide thing uh with kenny pickett who May actually walk away with a Heisman Trophy here before all this is said. Oh, and done. get the <laughs> hell out of here! No, he's not walking. I, mean, I don't even know why we're having this ceremony. We know who has won the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> Do you think he'll get invited? Do you think he'll get invited to New York? Well, he has been right. Like it's him, it's so. uh, Bryce Young and uh, uh, Aiden Hutchinson, and who's the oh CJ Shroud? Because you, you know, think he deserved it? Do you think he deserved to get invited? Kenny or CJ? Kenny. Oh, yeah. Kitty absolutely deserves to. C.J. Stroud is the beneficiary of when you play at Ohio State, you literally only have to have one good half of football to be recognized for all these national awards. No, (laughs) Kitty Pickett, like if we are saying, excuse me, that Aiden Hutchinson is the only defensive courtesy invite, then Kitty Pickett's the only reasonable competition to to Bryce Young. I, I mean, I think that Bryce Young's teammate, Will Anderson, is probably more deserving of the Heisman than Bryce is. But if he's not there, I, I would be floored if Kenny is not number two. Now, I don't think he'll be close to Bryce in the final voting, but I would think for sure he's number two, especially without either Will Anderson or or Kenneth Walker from Michigan State, who deserves mm. so much better treatment than he got. Yeah, it's wild, too, because I was watching Kenneth Walker, you know, last year sharing right. the ball at, at, here in Winston at Wake Forest. And then for him to leave, go to Michigan State, he's like the the poster child for the transfer portal works. It can work for yeah. you, but that's not going to be the case <laughs> for the other 400 kids that are going to be trying to transfer. Thousand kids are going to be transferring every year. Let's get into the OK, let's get into the college football playoff. Dimitri Robinos here with me from Barrett Sports Media. Uh, it kind of played out the way that we kind of thought it would. Uh, in terms of once we got past the Saturday games, where they were going to put everybody. Let's start off number one, Alabama versus number four, Cincinnati. Does Cincy have a shot at all to win this football game? You know, the okay, let me I'm trying to phrase this the right way, because, yes, they have a shot, but I don't think they will. I mean, the reason they have a shot is because they are going to be the best secondary Alabama has faced all season. Uh, Alabama beat Georgia because nobody, even as good as Tennessee was in terms of wide open football this year, Tennessee can't spread anybody out the way Alabama can. That's the difference between a roster full of three stars and a roster full of five stars, right? Right, Um, right. Alabama recognized that Georgia's weakness was the secondary. 
All right, that is Cincinnati's strength. Alabama, if you have not been paying attention all year, they don't have a particularly great run-blocking offensive line. So if you have a running back core that is already beat up and you have a quarterback that you know has all the speed in the world but has demonstrated over and over again, he is hesitant to take off and run the ball unless it is his absolute last resort. If they're locked down on those Bama receivers, who, by the way, will be without John Mechie, the, the leader in receptions this season mm-hmm. for Bryce right. Young, that could create problems. At the end of the day, though, you know, Alabama's defense isn't as bad as we were led to believe they were um, this season, or I guess as, as the nation was led to believe they were if you weren't paying attention to that team. And Cincinnati, I don't know, like it feels like that offense is Desmond Ritter just trying to find somebody. Right, um, yeah. <laughs> That's the vibe I get when I watch them play. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, like, I saw somebody today, uh, someone at the Sporting News, I can't remember who the writer was, predict Alabama winning 40-20. to 20. I mean, that could happen if everything goes right for Alabama. I think more likely we're looking at something along the lines, and I don't say this because I'm a fan of Alabama. Like, I could literally see this playing out like a 24 to nothing kind of game. Yeah, I'm leaning that way, too. Uh, I think Cincinnati deserves some flowers. I mean, this – for to be a group of five school, you literally have to have you have to put together back to back years to get to where yeah. Cincinnati is, and they're the first Absolutely. team to do it. You know, like uh, Central Florida is probably the first name that comes to mind. I can think of that was in a similar spot a couple of years ago where they went undefeated, crowned themselves national champions, and then uh, went into the next year. But it took two years to do it. Boise State, kind of the same way, where it took a couple of years back to back for people to start to notice what they do. Uh, Cincinnati is a strong program, but Alabama's the Death Star, man. I don't know if. Uh, I don't know if since he's ready for this yet. Plus, uh, you know, Saban's going to have a couple of weeks to prepare for this first game. Right. And I'm not, I saw a lot of people betting against Alabama when they played Georgia. And I'm just like, I'm not betting against Nick Saban in a big game. Like, listen, I, I, you know? I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to lie to you for a second here, Des. I held out for Bama plus seven when the line got plus seven, I wasn't touching the money line until I until I felt some sort of confidence that Alabama was <laughs> going to win that Elton game. I, <laughs> yeah, Alabama, Georgia. I, I look at this game, you know, the, the thing about Cincinnati is, and this is true of all G5 teams, you don't just have to win on the field. You have to win the PR battles, right? And Central Florida crowning themselves national champions was a huge PR loss. That pissed yeah. off all the wrong people. So it didn't <laughs> it really matter. Did. Yeah, so it didn't matter what they did the next year. Also, you know, and this is out of Central Florida's control, they are in Orlando, right? Like they are going to lose games to hurricanes in terms of schedule. So those teams were never capable of putting together true 13-0 and seasons out of the conference championship game. It's unfortunate, but it is the truth, and it made it easier to dismiss Cincinnati if that is what – or excuse me, to dismiss uh, Central Florida, rather, if that right. is what you were inclined to do in 2017 and 2018. I think Cincinnati – a, they've got a quarterback who is a legitimate playmaker. They've got a defense. Like, their their corner, Ahmad, I can't remember his last name, but his first name's Ahmad. He's going to be the first corner off the board in this draft, depending on how you view Derek Stingley Jr., whether it's a corner or safety. Um, but they've got legit playmakers. They've got a great head coach, and I think time has proven that Scott Frost was not necessarily a great head coach. Like, Cincinnati has all of the ingredients to succeed on the field and – I think losing to Georgia in the Peach Bowl did them a lot of favors in terms of currying favor so that all they really needed was that Notre Dame win this year to be thought of as legit. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. It kind of that loss almost kind of set up the season for them. And then, uh, you know, showing, did. Yeah, showing up at Notre Dame is kind of what put them in. Um, number two, Michigan against number three, Georgia. The, to me, this is the sweeter game between the two, of course. Is Michigan playing the best football right now in the country of the football well, of these four? And has some of the the glow disappeared for you for uh, Georgia after losing to Alabama the way they did last week? Uh, okay. Uh, so no, and maybe. Um, no, Michigan is not playing the best football of anybody in the country right now. I, I think Alabama sent a real clear message that uh, you know you you MFers fought. You know what I mean? I mean, that's yeah, really I agree with that. The yeah. That <laughs> the SEC championship game. I struggle to figure out how Michigan is going to create big plays against this Georgia defense because the shine is off of Georgia. But the shine is off of Georgia when they're going against the best team in the country, right? The shine was off of Georgia 
because Kirby Smart still has this mental block against go uh, about going against his mentor. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think that is going to be a problem for every game they play. I think there is this big monster in the front of Kirby Smart's mind that is Nick Saban, Alabama, whatever, because this is now the fourth time that Alabama has been, uh, or excuse me, that, that Georgia came into a game thinking they had Alabama exactly where they wanted them and got stomped. Uh, I, I don't, look, I'm an SEC apologist. I will own it all day long. To me, this game has the potential to be a real blowout because I don't know what Michigan does on offense that Georgia cannot counter easily with their defense. I'm, I'm that was the one that's the most curious for me because I've you know watched Michigan the past couple of weeks and just I just love I don't know why it took them so long but it, I I love the Jim Harbaugh 49er teams that were just built from yeah. the trenches you know like we're gonna run this football and load it up with just dudes on the line and dare you to stop us and they finally kind of got that going at Michigan and they finally got a quarterback in McNamara that can kind of manage the game properly and. Uh, it's weird. It's weird to sit here and be like, you know, this is Jim Harbaugh's chance to really show what he can do as a coach. And it's like he was already a good coach. It's just he couldn't get past Ohio State. And once they did that, the whole world opened up for Michigan. And I, I honestly, I kind of want to see Alabama, Michigan in the, in the national championship. I don't really I have no interest in seeing a rematch of Alabama, Georgia. I think Alabama kind of, you know, last week destroyed any kind of want for that rematch. I mean, I don't disagree with you from the standpoint of like, I also do not want to see an Alabama-Georgia rematch because I don't think Kirby is the adjustments kind of guy that Saban is to turn this into something interesting the second time around. You know, I just keep coming back to the last time we saw Saban and Harbaugh match up. I'm pretty sure Saban won by 35. Like the (laughs) the thing that really worries me for Michigan about Georgia is – Playing in the trenches or strength in the trenches, you are not going to beat this Georgia team that way. You just aren't. Alabama showed that what you have to do, no matter what play it is you call, at the very least, you have to run tempo. You have to make it impossible for Jordan Davis to get on the field because if he's not tired, you've got a problem on your hands. But remember, he's 360 pounds. He gets tired pretty quickly if you make it hard for for him to get off the field after two plays. That's a great point that I didn't even think about with Michigan's style of play. This is going to be an interesting matchup because Michigan will have to adjust that way. I think you're at, uh, I think you hit it spot on, 100%. Uh, I mean, listen, and, and it's it. not like that's not to dismiss the fact that George is going to have problems on the other side too with Aiden Hutchinson, maybe even more so because Hutchinson is just built like a more traditional pass rusher. Um, but, you know, I mean, neither of these teams are inclined to run tempo. And I think that is how you beat both of them. You might have a point. Actually, I think you do have a point there. So it's curious. You know, it's going to be funny when Cincinnati wins the whole thing here in a couple of weeks and we circle back around and we're like, what in the world just happened? I got to be honest. Them, aside from my alma mater, right? Them yeah. winning is the only thing that will not piss me off. <laughs> <laughs> Dimitri Ramados from Barrett Sports Media uh, here with us talking college football playoffs and everything college football. Always appreciate having you on, my man. And we'll definitely have you back here soon. Yeah, sounds good. We'll catch up soon, Nick does. Coming up, more from franchise players here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. In professional sports, a franchise player is an athlete who is not simply the best player on their team, but one that the team can build their franchise around for the foreseeable future. Welcome back to Franchise Players here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Shout out to everyone listening to us on the multiple platforms that we are on, uh, WTOB, 980 AM, 96.7 FM, WCOG, 1320 AM, uh, here across the triad, and on your phone or computer or tablet or laptop on Tobacco Road sportsradio.com this uh weekend's a weekend that many of us in the sports media industry have been looking forward to for a while now uh it's the the weekend where we get to honor members of the national sports media so who better to have on than the executive director of the national sports media association that's actually based here in the triad in winston-salem mr dave Gorn? dave what's going on man how you doing 
I'm doing well, Des. Thanks for having me on. I hope uh, hope you're as excited as I am. I have uh, a lot to do yet to get ready, but uh, we're really, really looking forward to uh, welcoming all our people in this weekend. Well, I'm not going to keep you long because I know you're a busy man. You got a whole lot of stuff going on this weekend and a whole lot of people uh, converging into Winston-Salem. Two dinners planned for Sunday and Monday. A lot of different events uh, in Winston that will serve to honor not just the 2021 award winners, but the 2020 winners as well. How good does it feel, Dave, to be back? Talk about this year's class in particular. Oh, it's great. And actually, we're honoring, you know, two years worth of people. We had to cancel last year's awards weekend. So it's a little confusing because we do our state and national winners are voted based on the previous year. So they're being awarded the year after they they win. And then the Hall of Famers, because they're being elected due to their careers, are it's that year. So it's our 2019 and 2020 state and national winners and our 2020 and 2021 Hall of Famers. So I have trouble keeping it straight. I don't expect anybody else to either. But uh, um, I'll, I'll tell you, our five of our Hall of Famers who will be here are Jim Nance, Dick Stockton, Rick Tellender, William C. Roden, and Tom Verducci, and then our last, our, our 2019 and 20 national sports writers will both be here. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, you know him as Woj on ESPN, mm-hmm. and of course Nicole Auerbach from The Athletic, who became our youngest ever national winner when she won last year. And then we'll have close to 50 state sportscasters and sports writers of the year from all over the country from the last two years. So. We're very much looking forward to that. And then on Sunday night, we have our legacy night and welcome dinner kind of combined this year. Uh, The centerpiece of that is our Rune Arledge Award for Innovation, which is going to Neil Leifer. For those of you who don't recognize his name, you probably recognize his work. Uh, More than 200 covers on Sports Illustrated Time and People. Uh, As a photographer, that's more than anybody else. And uh, he's the guy who took that famous, actually two famous pictures, of Muhammad Ali standing over Sonny Liston when he knocked him out in 1965 in Lewiston, Maine. Uh, The one uh, looking at Ali and then the famous overhead shot. Um, So we're really looking forward to having him here and talking to him. And uh, it's a lot of fun. We'll have about uh, close to probably 300 people here for the two days this weekend. And uh, as you know, Des, when it's people in our industry, we get together and we tell stories because we're hopefully good storytellers. Right. But we also compare notes and we and we help the the younger people who are trying to get a foothold in the business. Yeah, I wanted to touch on that a little bit, too, because here at Tobacco Road, one of the things when I started it was that I wanted to build something. I wanted to build a model where I could bring in guys fresh out of college, people that are graduating with broadcasting degrees, journalism degrees that wanted to get in sports, but just couldn't figure out how to get their foot in the door besides the traditional internship type things. Uh, That didn't really exist for me when I graduated in 2003. There wasn't really a readily accessible way for me to figure out my own path uh, and and, and be able to pay rent (laughs) at the same time. So uh, nowadays that does exist. Give those that may not be familiar a quick brush up on the NSMA because you guys didn't originally start in Winston-Salem. Many sports fans might not even be aware that downtown Winston-Salem has become a bit of a sports hub of sorts between you guys uh, inhabiting downtown Winston and, of course, Learfield's downtown as well. Uh, and I'm not sure if a lot of people realize that Winston-Salem kind of kind on the low has become like this sports maven spot for people to go to start their careers in sports broadcasting. Uh, give us a little bit of a brush up on that. Yeah, so NSMA actually started as the North Carolina sports broadcasters and writers um there's a a restaurant owner who had moved here to salisbury from new jersey and he was also a boxing promoter and in order to get people you know sports writers and sportscasters to come cover his boxing cards he had them come eat at his restaurant and started the state had the first state awards dinner at his restaurant demizio's his name was pete demizio in 1953 it went so well they said we should take this thing national um and started, he unfortunately passed away in 1958, but a small local group of Salisburyans picked up the ball and opened nationally. In 1959, they sent out more than 6,000 hard copy ballots all across the country, had their first awards uh, banquet at Catawba College in Salisbury, North Carolina, April 12th of 1960. 
And then we moved the organization here to Winston-Salem in uh, 2017. And you're right. There's a there's just such a good sports vibe here. For people who don't know, Learfield is now the leader in the multimedia broadcast rights space. It started, uh, you know, Ben Sutton, who uh, who graduated from Wake Forest and and was it the their athletics marketing guy when I first moved here in 1988. He kind of set the tone. He, when he left Wake, he started with some seed money and started International Sports Properties, which begat. IMG College, which begat Learfield, and yeah, so they represent or, or have the rights to, I want to say, more than 80, I haven't counted lately, the, the number of yeah, schools they own the multimedia rights, and, and so they have so many broadcasters under their aegis, several of them will be here this weekend, um, so that's kind of cool, you know, I, I kind of work for them when I do sideline reporting for Wake Football, and you know, I, I know of all the names in this position and to meet some of those people that you've heard on, you know, satellite radio or online or, or even terrestrial radio, it's, it's kind of cool. So uh, there's all that. And then we talked about helping the young sportscasters and sports writers. We run a day-long series of seminars and panels the day of our awards banquet, which is this coming Monday. And we have a bunch of people, you know, presenting a bunch of our winners uh, including Hall of Famer William C. Roden, who, after working all those years at the New York Times, is now at the Undefeated, which is ESPN's website dedicated to uh, sports, culture, and race. Uh, we have Melanie Newman, who has made big news as the first woman, to, and she hates it when when you say first woman because she wants to be uh, respected for her talent and drive and work ethic, right. all of which she has. Um, you know, she's with the Orioles and, you know, she, I first met her actually at the Birmingham bowl when Wake Forest played it. She was the sideline reporter for the radio syndicate that was doing the game. And then the next year she ended up with the Salem Red Sox and the Carolina league. So they came through to play the Winston Salem dash. And we met for lunch a couple times and discussed careers and all that. And I was very impressed by her, her work ethic and the ability to take constructive criticism and lo and behold, a year and a half later, she ends up in Baltimore with the Orioles on their broadcast team. So hmm. that's kind of cool to see. So she'll talk about, you know, Mick going from the minors to the majors and what's involved with that. Uh, we have Caitlin Schmidt, who is our Arizona Sports Writer of the Year in 2019. She'll talk about investigative reporting. That's what she does for her newspaper, the Arizona Daily Star in Tucson. So we, we, we tackle a number of different subjects. And for college students and young professionals, it is invaluable as well as the networking that goes on with those 200 plus people from sports media here in town for a couple of days. So a lot of work to get ready for it, but it's well worth it. And uh, I love meeting everybody when they come in. Joining us right now on Franchise Players, Dave Gorn, the executive director of the National Sports Media Association. Uh, Dave, I, I, one of the things I wanted to pick your brain on, um, I've noticed it's happening in the sports media world, sports news media in particular, uh, it feels like major companies seem to be cutting staff while many independent factions actually kind of like tobacco road have kind of appeared to fill in the gaps, so to speak, uh, in local mm -hmm. coverage. What are your thoughts on the state of sports media in 2021 going forward? Where do you see this train heading in the next couple of years with, uh, things like a good example, like at ESPN I'm seeing where they kind of cut a lot of the fringe reporters and stuff like that kind of off the payroll but then they turn around and give the two highest paid uh, players there, Stephen A. Smith and Mike Greenberg. They literally fill their plate with uh, I don't even know how they have enough time to do all the hmm. stuff that they got both these guys doing right now uh, from morning until night. And it feels like that model is starting to get uh, used across the board, whether you're Fox Sports or whether you're the, the Greensboro News and Record. Uh, what are your thoughts on what you're seeing going on right now uh, with the consolidation of sports media? Well, it's, it's kind of a catch-22 in a way, isn't it? Um, you know, as these big companies cut and more independents come on board, we get the fragmentation of the audience. And so those big companies, have they, they start getting their audience and, and their, their income, their revenue uh, eroded. And, and so who comes in to pick that up is the independents. So, um, you know, I'm not a good forecaster. I have no idea where we're going. I expect this trend to continue a little bit, but it, it, it's almost like back to the future because 
you know, when I was growing up in the 60s and 70s, where, where did you get all your news? It was from your local radio station. It wasn't from a, a conglomerate owned radio station that they don't, you know, they don't care about your They're locale. Not, they just yeah, care right about here, yeah. sucking all the money upstairs, right? Yeah. So, you know, and now maybe we're going back to that, but because the internet is here and people have figured out how to work it and monetize it and, and, and gain some kind of niche audience that maybe that's where that quote unquote local radio audience is going to and where the local purveyors are. So it's, it's been very interesting to watch. Um, and I think a lot of us, we're, we're just feeling our way through, including the people who of these startups, whether internet or radio or streaming or whatever. Um, it's very interesting to watch. I, you know, you're always a little apprehensive because it's not always a proven method, but I give credit to the people, you know, such as you who have, have taken that, uh, you know, that chance and gone out there and worked hard at it. And I know it takes a while to build what you want to build. Yeah. It's funny too, because I, I, I kind of feel like I'm 43, I'll be 44 in January. So I'm kind of in that weird generation that still remembers you know, rotary phones and still remembers, mm -hmm. you know, reading the newspaper every morning to get the scores from the day previous and, that, and things of that sort. So, and I've worked for media companies in the, in the triad that were traditional media outlets, I guess you could say that I watched struggle. Like I saw this way back in like 2012, 2013, where there was just a resistance to new age media or new uh, methods of delivering the the content, I guess you could say. And, and a lot of industries have gone through this. The record industry has gone through it. It's gone from different methods of delivery of those uh, of those music albums. But the content itself has relatively been the same. It's just the, how you receive it. So I've kind of gone into it thinking that way to use those old school tactics of uh, good reporting. What makes a show a good show? Uh, producing things so that people are used to hearing it in a certain manner, but trying to to pull people towards where they're going to be in three or four years and they may not be aware of it in terms of how they receive the information. And I think a lot more people are starting to like the explosion of podcasting over the past, like two or three years uh, and places like Spotify, making that available to people uh, really with just two clicks of uh, your phone has made it more accessible than ever. So uh, I'm curious though, because the number of people that appear on tobacco road regularly as guests or, or on panels, they're going to be honored this weekend at the NSMA, uh, Ed Harden, who I love one of my favorite guests, mm -hmm. uh, retired sports writer, uh, for the Greensboro news and record, uh, WXI's Lauren Walsh actually will receive her award from 2019, uh, when she was still in Vermont and she had been elected the Vermont sportcaster of the year, uh, voice of the demon Deacons, uh, Stan Cotton will be receiving an award this week. Talk to me a little bit about the state of sports media in the triad today. What kind of, where do you think it is? Is it in a good place? Is it uh, in a place where it can grow? Like wh what are your senses of it on a local sense? Well, I have a feeling it will be changing as we just discussed And you know, the, the legacy newspaper business is, you know, changing by the hour. It seems, um, you know, there are rumors that a hedge fund company will take over Lee enterprises, which owns, the Winston-Salem and Greensboro newspapers. Yeah. Um, it almost sounds hostile <laughs> in terms yeah. of what they're talking about doing. So, yeah. Um, and it's scary. I, if I were in a newspaper today, I'm, I'd be scared. So, um, but I will tell you a fun, a fun story going back to Lauren Walsh, who's now at WXI when she won. And I may, I may have told you this before, but, after our, our results come in, I build a big database and get everybody's contact info. And, I, and within, it's been the first week of January, the last couple of years, I call them to tell them that they won, congratulate them, tell them they have to come to Winston-Salem because it'll be the best two or three days of their lives. So I, you know, I do it alphabetically by state. So Lauren Walsh was obviously one of the last, being in Vermont, <laughs> um, one of the last state winners I called. Um, this would have been back in 2020 in January. And then my last hall of famer that I got in touch with was Michael Wilbon. And I left him a message and I hung up. And as I was hanging up, I mistakenly hit Lauren Walsh's phone number again. And you know how you do that. And you quickly hit end if you notice and hope it doesn't <laughs> right. ring. And sure enough, it rang and she called back a couple minutes later. She said, did you need me for something? And I said, no, I just, you know, I apologize. I just miss hit the phone. And then she said to me, 
well, funny that you called. And I started, you know, going into that Joe Pesci, funny how, funny, <laughs> I make you laugh. She said, well, I couldn't tell you yesterday when you called me to tell me that I won. But as soon as we hung up, I called WXII and Winston-Salem and accepted the job as the weekend sportscaster. So that's wow. how that's how that worked. And I, th I thought that was, I don't know if, it, I guess it was coincidence, not irony that I, Miss hit her her number and called her back and then and she's done a great job since she's been it seems like she's been here for three years yeah <laughs> um, but but she'll have she'll have the she and Ed Harden and Stan Cotton will have the shortest trips of anybody so that'll be good for them I finally got a chance we I've known Lauren uh, going on a year now she's been on off and on on uh, random shows on Tobacco Road which has been awesome and uh, I finally got a chance to meet her in person in the Glen press box uh, I think it was East and Glen. We were doing no, no, no. It wasn't Easton Glen. It was Glenn versus uh, some other team. But she was there in the press box, and I heard her voice. We hadn't seen each other face to face before. It was in a setting like this, and I heard her voice mm -hmm. across the, the the corner of the room. And just looked over, and said Lauren, and we started talking for a little bit. Uh, great, great personality to have here in the triad. Um, I, Dave, I love having you on whenever uh, this comes around. I might be a little too late to get to this one for this weekend, but I'm already making plans because from what I saw on the website, you guys are going to be back on your regular schedule and the 2022 awards will actually be in June, correct? That would be the 2021 awards. The yes. 2021 awards. Yes. So Don't yeah, forget, 2021 and 2020 in 2022. So I'm hopeful that 62nd uh, get, awards weekend it'll be. <laughs> I'm hopeful that uh, I'm actually on my way to uh, get membership for the NSMA right now. I don't know why I didn't have it already. And hopefully I'll get a chance to vote on some of those uh, for June and actually see some of them in action during the summer. So um, just wanted to say thanks for coming on, talking a little bit about the NSMA. And uh, I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. I appreciate that. And thank you for having me on. I love to do it. And, you know, what you're doing, as we, we kind of discussed, is very important for local communities, whether it's one city or a triad or or larger. But uh, so thank you for what you do and look forward to hopefully seeing you in the not too distant future. Absolutely. Let's let's uh let's plan something, maybe a lunch or something. We'll get together. I'll come Absolutely. into town. I yes. love to eat. <laughs> Me too. Let's do it. So uh All right, Des, just, thanks. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Coming up, more from franchise players here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio.com. In professional sports, a franchise player is an athlete who is not simply the best player on their team, but one that the team can build their franchise around for the foreseeable future. Welcome into Franchise Players here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Yet another Friday edition brought to you by the crew. Desmond Johnson, I'm your host. Hot Rod Thunderbird, Brandon Blakeney in the house, live from North Dakota, per usual. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, actually, we you know we announced it last week, um, and it's still on popping. Saturday, January the 8th, 10 a.m. Uh, you guys are back on Saturday mornings. The rundown with Desmond Johnson uh, season premiere. We took the year off due to COVID and you know, everything. Uh, so, the, so we could get to the point where we could do it live again. And we're back at that point again. Uh, we've had people asking about it over the time we've been gone, which has been, you know, uh, crazy. We appreciate that and the support, but we are back. WWBG 1470 AM, 10 AM on Saturday morning, starting January the 8th, uh, tobacco road, sports radio.com. So you can stream it from your phone and we're, we're going to be on Facebook, watch Twitter and YouTube. So the show will be more interactive than it was the last time you might've remembered it on uh, sports have tried where, while we're doing skit or not skits, but while we're doing segments, I think guys, I haven't even told you guys this yet. I'm going to implement this kind of thing where if someone that's watching it on Facebook or Twitter has a really good sports question for the panel, we're going to, I'm going to break into whatever it is that we're doing with some kind of siren or whatever. And uh, the question will display on the screen and we'll be able to respond to that uh, in real time. So it's a little nice. bit different, uh, it, more interactive than anything we've really tried to do before. Um, and hopefully it'll be a new way to be able to consume sports uh, on Saturday morning. So we're really excited about it. Uh, and, you know, Saturday, January 8th will be here before we know it, guys. But uh, for today, I want to talk about Mr. Stephen Wardlow Curry. Uh, this dude, y'all know how much I enjoy Steph Curry. I, I've been on the record that uh, he's one of my favorite players to watch. Um, 
And I think I said his name wrong. It's Wardell Stephen Curry. I'm sorry, Steph. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't blame him dropping that Wardell. Yeah, Ward, Wardell, Wardell Steph Curry the second. Um, I, he's as we're doing this segment, he's 10 three pointers away from breaking uh, Ray Allen's all time record of three pointers made in a career. And um, he's doing it in like, I think 250 less games or something crazy like that. Um, it, it's just crazy to watch. The dude's averaging almost 28 points per game, uh, 6.5 assists. Uh, he's attempting 13 threes per game and he's hitting about five or six of them. He's shooting at 41% from three. He's never shot less than 40% from three his entire career, except for uh, not was it last year or year before when he broke his hand or broke his finger early in the year, like five, right. five games and he missed the whole rest of the season. That's the only season that he's that he shot under 40%. My question for today for the segment to kick off franchise players, and it's a loaded show at that. Joe Cerrera is back to preview the Dudley State Championship game. Uh, Dimitri Ravenos is on to talk about the college football playoffs. Um, just, just a loaded, loaded show today. Is Steph Curry – the most influential basketball player of all time. And, and I was thinking of players I would put into this group. So it, say you've got a room that's got Michael Jordan, Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Steph Curry. Out of those four, who has changed basketball more than than anyone else? Um, and I have no idea who wants to, to go for it. I'll tackle it. I, first of all, i got to say, I think that it's kind of – Blasphemy for Allen Iverson to be left out of this conversation if we're talking about changing <laughs> I mean, the we game. Throw, we can throw him in there um, if you want. I don't know if he changed I mean, the game. I but, mean, they threw uh, they they literally threw in the carry rule because of Allen Iverson. Like that's why carrying is a rule in the NBA. He was right, breaking well, right, his we'll, we'll, throw, we'll throw Iverson he's, in the room too. He's, okay. he's also <laughs> the, he's he's also the reason that the NBA has a dress code currently. So. Um, yeah, I think, you know what? They've kind of I noticed they've kind of loosened that up because you know when they, they first have, started, everybody had to wear suits and stuff. But now I'm thinking right. back on it, and uh, Russell Westbrook's wearing like I won't call them blouses, but I mean, <laughs> hey, them them, 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 them blouses <laughs> running a couple bands though, man. Them some Dior blouses, but no, I think you know, not not taking away from any of those guys. I think Shaq and AI could definitely be in there. But I will say, um, just in my lifetime, out of all those guys, um, Steph Curry absolutely changed the game. I mean, we never really saw a whole lot of small ball in the NBA. Kids shooting from the logo. Everybody wants to play fast, shoot a lot of threes. And he kind of – it's coming back now with, with guys, but he kind of eliminated the back-to-the-back back center. Like We see Jokic, but guys like that are still realized they got to be able to shoot the three and pass the ball. So I think he kind of eliminated – like the shacks of the world where you're just throwing it on the block and you're back to the basket and all you got in your repertoire is the the hook shot or the left over the shoulder floater. Like, I think he's made it to where everybody wants to have a complete game and the the game is just so much more spread out and fast-paced now. And I think that part of just influencing the game, he's really done an impressive job. I mean, he's not 6'8", 6'9", 260 overly athletic like Steph Curry a regular dude with a clip and he, yeah, he like put the work three. in on the gym. Yeah. A little light skin, 63. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he, he that's the I think of the appeal with Steph is that he seems like an average dude you would see in food line like shopping or whatever. He doesn't seem out of the ordinary in terms of physical stature. Rod, what are your initial thoughts on this? Well, I mean, Steph Curry, you got to like him. You can relate to Steph Curry the best. Steph Curry is one of those guys. He's under 6'3 or right at 6'3. That's most average of most people in America. And of course, Steph Curry makes you feel like you can go and play basketball. And I think he has influenced basketball in the realm of, wow, this guy can shoot threes anywhere on the court at any given time and they go in. But he's also a specialist in that area. You know, uh, he's great at what he does, but that's what he's going to do. He's going to be a specialist at shooting the three. So he has influenced the game. He has changed the game. But to me, no one has influenced the game any more than a guy by the name of Michael Jordan. And he's influenced it in in good ways. And and some people can stick their eyebrow up ways. But, you know, Michael Jordan influenced the whole NBA um, just from a whole perspective of being an individual. Because if you think about it, when Jordan came into the NBA it was two teams, pretty much. At least that's what I remember being a young buck. The Lakers, <laughs> and the, exactly, the Boston Celtics. And, you know, and it was Larry Bird, 
with the Boston Celtics, that blue color collar guy. And then uh, it was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Magic Johnson on the West Coast, you know, pretty in the sunshine, all that good Showtime. stuff. Yes, sir. Showtime. And then here comes a little old fella from uh, Wilmington, uh, North Carolina, comes <laughs> up and he disrupts the game in a way that the game could now be individualized. These guys are individuals and they get so much attention right now because Michael Jordan was the first to do that. You know what I'm saying? And Michael yeah. Jordan has and, and Michael Jordan also has influenced the game and the way people do and talk trash. Michael Jordan will walk into your locker room and say, yo, boy, you better strap up your boots tonight. You want to know why? Because it's going to be a long night and then drop 61 on you when he does it. Man, you know what I'm saying? Larry Bird, Larry Bird were like the best. Yeah, Larry Bird definitely ever. Larry Bird would just make you look stupid. <laughs> like yes. I mean, telling you what move he's about to do and then killing you. Yeah, him. shooting all night left-handed, like just stuff that you wouldn't even think about doing, like just petty. Like he was just super petty. Um, I'm going to think. Oh, go ahead, Des. Go but ahead, Des. I was just going to say, before I get to uh, Jordan and Curry and those comparisons, I want to shine a little light on Wilt and Kareem. Yep, facts. Because uh, Wilt, Wilt kind of made the NBA. This, this is the argument for both of them. Wilt kind of made the NBA start looking at black players more because at the time he came out in 1957, you had some black players, but there were still teams that were all white that had no black players on them. And Wilt shows up out of the University of Kansas and is like the most dominant force the, the sport had ever seen. And I think it made people that and Bill Russell, it kind of made other teams think, you know what, we might have to start to adapt to this. Uh, and, and, that changed the game. I mean, adding black players to the basketball, that probably changed the game more than anything else. Mm -hmm. um, then with Kareem, people forget the, the slam dunk was outlawed when Kareem was in college, partly because of Kareem. Like, there was no way to really stop him. Lou Alcindor, like, Kareem was LeBron coming out of high school before LeBron and before the internet. Like, he was that big of a right. prep player, you know? Yeah, he and, was. Right. For them to write a rule where you're not allowed to dunk the basketball anymore because of this dude just like kind of dominating everything. And he couldn't even play with UCLA freshman year. They didn't allow freshmen to play varsity back then. So he had to wait till sophomore year before he could even play with the with the varsity team. And for them to adapt that rule, that I think that changed uh the NBA. But to both of your points, I think you both laid out excellent points with Jordan and Curry. I've been grappling with this all day. That's why I thought, you know, this would be a good question for for the fellas because on one hand, to Rod's point, Jordan changed the game and made it global. Like the NBA wasn't global until Jordan and the 92 Dream Team, really, in the Olympics. That's when you started this explosion of like uh, global fascination with Michael Jordan and the NBA. That's how you get Dirk Nowitzki. That's how you get, uh, give me uh, a Jokic or. Uh, even a, a Tony Kukoc or somebody or like that. Or Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah, it's a, all these guys, there were international players living in Greece or wherever. They, their first instance of the NBA is Michael Jordan and that dream team and what that represented. And all those guys, all those kids now are in their late 20s, early 30s and playing in the NBA or just playing or whatever. And Jordan influenced that. Like Jordan's heavy with that. Having said that, I've spent a lot of time in high school basketball gyms the past couple of years, and everybody is shooting three-pointers. Mm -hmm. Everybody. Like the center, the coaches, <laughs> the cheerleader, everyone is shooting three. And they're not just like threes. They're like step Local back. Threes. Yeah, like 30-foot like threes. And I'm like, you have no business shooting that shot. That is the worst <laughs> shot. That is the 30-foot three-pointer is the worst shot for anyone to take unless you're Steph Curry. Like, I don't even Maybe like Dame Lillard. You know, he's Dame, the only one that's borderline. He, I'd put him – he's right there. Steph's the only one where I don't question when he takes a shot, no matter where it is. Like, mm -hmm. from the other baseline, I'm like, you know what? That might go in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's the <laughs> only one. Everybody else, they're just like – I don't know. Like, I don't like seeing LeBron out there shooting logo threes, although he's been hitting them uh, this year. You can tell he worked on it. But, like, you that Curry changed his game. Or him and Dame and that crop, but Steph led the way and changed the game to the point where LeBron James in year what year is he in? Seventeen? Yeah, I believe he's seventeen or maybe eighteen. Yeah, I think seventeen. I mean, in year seventeen, LeBron James has adapted a step back thirty foot logo three point shot. Where do you think that came from? <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Like, so I'm kind of I'm stuck at Jordan and Curry in professional sports. A franchise player is an athlete who is not simply the best player on their team, 
but one that the team can build their franchise around for the foreseeable future. to Franchise Players here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Yet another Friday edition brought to you by the crew. Desmond Johnson, I'm your host. Hot Rod Funderburk, Brandon Blakeney in the house. So that, that's, I think that's Curry, cool. too, man. He kind of, like we said, he showed that, like, you don't have to be 6'8", 260, crazy bounce to play basketball and be successful. Like, you can literally just put in the work in the gym and harness your skill that you have. Um, I also think, too, man, like I was watching some highlights of Wilt because we brought him up. Like I didn't mm-hmm. realize how ahead of his time Wilt was. Like Wilt wasn't just some seven-foot-two back to the basket. Like my man was going coast-to-coast with the handle, yeah. doing mm-hmm. behind-the-back passes. Like Wilt would be playing today. Like he was trying to – like a transitional-type athlete. I think he'd be Giannis. He'd be Giannis, but just in the paint more. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that's I mean, kind of what makes he reminds me of that fifty-point closeout game in the finals that Giannis had. That was Wilt like. That was something. Yep. That, but Wilt was doing that like almost every other day. <laughs> like, <just laughs> I mean, literally just dropping fifty and on I people. I seen a stat line where he had like a seventy-eight and forty rebounds or something crazy. Yeah, I, 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 was, I was about to say I posted it to my Facebook so I could come back to it. Um, a me, I posted a meme. <laughs> I don't know if I can find it now. I'm sorry, my, my mic's coming on. But uh, it was something like today in history, um, Wilt Chamberlain and Elgin Baylor combined for the most points scored uh, between two opposing players in NBA history. And um, it was during a stretch where Wilt in the season, I think it was the 62 season. Here it is. 60 years ago today, Elgin Baylor and Wilt Chamberlain combined for the most points uh, scored by opponents uh, in NBA history. And a 151 to 147 three overtime win, uh, the Lakers over Philadelphia. Elgin had 63 points. <laughs> it makes me laugh just looking at <laughs> looking at these stat lines. Elgin Baylor had 63 points, 31 rebounds, seven assists, played 60 minutes, and was 23 from 55 from uh, from the floor. Wilt, <laughs> this is comical. It makes me feel like it didn't happen. Wilt had 78 points, 43 rebounds, one assist, played 63 minutes. And was 31 for 62 from the floor, which means he, he shot 50%. That don't even, I mean, right. <laughs> what do you do with that? Like, and I then mean, I on triple team, oh, do that today. I'm like, why the hell couldn't he? Like, who's gonna stop him in today's NBA? Like, who who would guard Wilt Chamberlain in today's NBA? I mean, 7 yeah. 2 running like a straight deer down the field. I mean, down the court, excuse me. He he's a he will everyone, every generation has a unicorn. Like, like Wilt was the unicorn, like, he just was just a different breed. Jordan was a unicorn. I'm at the point where Steph Curry is a damn unicorn. Like I've never seen anybody do what he's doing. And you know, something else too, that I just now realized and Rod, you can attest to this because we watch Jordan all the time. Jordan and Curry both have this factor where when they don't have the ball, you still watch them. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, it, like, like he'll pass it, and he'll, like Curry runs around. Like Curry runs mm-hmm. around like three miles, mm-hmm. just and then gets it and pops it. And I find myself just watching him, like off the ball. Jordan was the same way. Like you didn't want to take your eyes off of Jordan because you didn't know what you're going to miss. So when you're watching the Bulls, you're pretty much watching Jordan the whole game until they take him out. And I realized I was doing that with Curry a couple years ago, and especially the other night when I was watching him. Like I'm sitting there just watching Steph Curry run around in a circle <laughs> to get the ball back. <laughs> and the other team, they know what he's going to do. He's going to run around in a circle, but it wears them out. And he – I don't know, man. This dude is just incredible to me. And, I mean, like you said, no shot's a bad shot. Contested off one foot, falling into the bleachers from the stands, passing out popcorn. He letting it fly wherever. Did yeah, man. The, um, Steph Curry, he's just on a different level, man. And I mean, to me, like you said, Brandon, whenever you're shooting the shots, wherever they are, contested, non-contested, to me, his mental game is so mm-hmm. tight right now. Mm-hmm. That's the thing with Steph Curry. Because, you know, even when you go into the hole, you're a big Giannis, you're rolling, you got the physical game, you can do your thing. But with Steph Curry, his mental game is there because how can you shoot threes like that if you're not mentally ready? I mean, physically, right. it's not that hard on you. But you got to be mental to shoot threes. You guys have been in, you know, shooting competitions with your buddies out on the court and just messing around. 
it is a mental thing with those threes, man. And that guy's mental game has got to be right, which means his wife must be treating him extra special at the house. <laughs> <laughs> and he finally got them Under Armour, got rid of them dad Under Armours and got some real balling shoes. Those so pediatric <laughs> shoes he was wearing. <laughs> yes, sir. But hey, they might be magic because he was, he, I mean, he was in all these threes in them. So, yeah, but, uh, he had I the, wish R, the RN1s. Yeah. <laughs> I wish he that's the one my one knock with Steph. Like, come on, man. I, I know you went under armor. That's cool. Under Armour's got boatloads of money. They could have came up with a better design for your shoe, man. Like this this thing was like uh what tennis players wore back in like the 50s, you know, just straight. Like white when my dad wore cut the grass in. <laughs> oh <laughs> have you seen the video of Steph shooting the shot from the tunnel that came out a couple yeah. days ago? Yep, yep. He's, He's done that before. before. But this is in the new arena. This is an Oracle or whatever. Like right, the new one they put. Right. And he was, right. he was saying before, I remember like a year or two ago, he was worried because that's like his pregame tradition. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was worried that the sight lines are different in the new arena. And he didn't know if he could do it the way he was doing it uh, in the old Oracle or whatever. And lo and behold, beginning of this week, I look up and I see this video all over the place of Steph launching a, it's got to be a 60 foot at least from the bleachers, almost behind the back, almost behind the goal and nothing but net. And he just, it's almost like he knows it's going in. He, him, and I've noticed LeBron's tried it a couple times. Yeah. Yep. But Steph has done, Steph does the, the most disrespectful thing where he will shoot a three. And while the ball is in the air, he will turn around at your bench and look at it. I've while never the ball seen is still in the like air. That. I've never seen that never. before in my life. I've never <laughs> seen Jordan do nothing like that. I've never seen anyone do that. And it'll go in most times. Like you're more yeah. shocked when it doesn't go in. Right, right. Now, I mean, I've seen him dap a dude up in the crowd while the ball was up in there. Yeah, right. like what, <laughs> what in the world? And like it's going in. I'm just like the crowd's going crazy and they're loving it. There's the one sequence where uh, earlier on where Steph is like just dribbling through like the, I think it was the Clippers. He's just dribbling through the entire Clippers, Clippers team. And Chris Paul is just trying to stay with him. And in the background, you can see Steve Kerr. Like with his hands raised, like what are you doing? <laughs> and like Steph, out of all the dribbling he does, and through the legs, he's just crossing up everybody and going through like four dudes. At the end of it, he steps back and shoots like a thirty-five foot three-pointer, and it goes in. And Steve Kerr just like puts his hands in the air, like and shakes his head, like he doesn't know what to do. And from that, you can't point coach on, that. <laughs> you can't coach that. And Steve Kerr realized at that point on, there is no bad shot for Steph Curry, and he said so in interviews ever since that he didn't know. I mean, he just let Steph do what he's going to do. And more often than not, it's going to turn out fine. So, I, I, did we decide here? Because <laughs> I think we came down to Jordan or Curry, and that Wilt was a problem. But Jordan or Curry, which one changed the game more? If we're talking about on the court, strictly the game aspect of it, I would say Steph Curry because he completely eliminated the five position pretty much. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, if you if you can make an impact on the game to have – Dudes like Joel Embiid out there shooting threes when he has no business being out there. <laughs> seven foot Giannis, seven foot two out there clanking three pointers. What are you doing? Get in the paint. I want to bang in the paint all night. Yeah, I want to shoot the three. That's Steph Curry influence. I think the other way you were going was that maybe Jordan Jordan's had the biggest influence off the court than yeah, any other. Yeah, just like o- overall in the game with swagger. I mean, he's got the first. I think what's cool about Jordan is the culture part of it. He made basketball cool to the point where like. People wear basketball shoes out in public to functions, like even without having, like, going to play. I think that was like, I mean, I don't know. I could be wrong, fellas, but I think Jordan's were the first shoe like that where you could. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because people didn't wear basketball shoes unless they were playing basketball. Like, I remember those days. Like, you didn't, you didn't wear basketball sneakers to school or to weddings or, you know what I mean? Like, you didn't do that. And Jordan's kind of flipped that narrative and made them wear. Uh, shoes became unique, like athletic wear became unique to your your wardrobe. You it, it changed the whole culture. And plus, Michael Jordan ain't touched a basketball in what 20, 19 years, seventeen something like that. He, he finally retired in two thousand three. He's still just as relevant of a name as he was in two thousand three when he retired. So I mean, it, yeah. But for the purposes of this argument or conversation, it's Steph Curry, I believe, that's changed the game because I don't know if we're going back. To what we were doing before. Like, no, nah, I mean, everybody's shooting through. Yeah, it's I like you see, have to be able to shoot it. I don't see any of these high school kids uh, going to a back to the basket post game. Like, and, they, and if somebody would decide to do it, they would dominate because there's no one to guard them. Like, there's no one, big guys aren't trying to do that anymore and they, they look lost in the paint. Let some kid that's like 6'5, six, 6'6 six, six right now in high school decide he's going to perfect the sky hook. Man, look. 
like people just they don't understand it. They don't understand like the logic of you know being two feet to the basket is better than thirty five feet from the basket, regardless mm-hmm. how how good of a shooter you are. <laughs> you know, like I'll take that all day, but not everybody can be Steph Curry, and that's what we're kind of learning here as he uh, will eventually take over the three point shooting record held by Ray Allen, and he's still probably got another ten years left in him. So by the time he's done with this. It's going to look like John Stockton's assist record. Like it's just going to be so far away from everybody else that I don't think anyone's ever going to catch it. And uh, there you go. There's the there's the proof in the pudding right there. I guess um, I ran over. We need to take a break. Uh, Franchise players. We'll be back in just a bit here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. <laughs> 